Hi, it's Daria Abramovich here, and you're listening to Functional Tennis Podcast. Welcome to episode 79 of the Functional Tennis Podcast. Today can be classed as our Christmas episode and I'm super excited to speak to Daria Abramovich, the sports psychologist of Iga Swiatek. Daria has been working with Iga since early 2019 as a huge part of the Swiatek team. We find out all about the role of Daria. It's a lot more than you'd expect. We learn about the value she brings to Team Swiatek as well as the journey to the Roland Garros title and plenty of snippets to get you thinking. I really enjoyed this episode so much that three quarters the way through, I realised my mic was on the other side of the table. I've had to go back and re-record bits, but it's perfect. Before we get started, a shout out to our podcast sponsor Slinger, the portable ball machine, which you can find out more about at slingerbag.com. And in 2021, they'll be releasing some fancy tennis software. I don't know too much about it right now, but there's more news to come next year. Finally, a notepad may be handy for this episode. I hope you enjoy. Let's go. Hello, Daria. Welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast. How are you doing? How's preseason going? I'm well, thank you. A little bit of the trouble uh, with the black eye, uh, a little injury during squash match, but I'm, I'm, uh, except that I'm completely fine. Uh, Precision is going actually really well. We're striving for a little bit more uh, sun and, and warm temperatures, but we'll actually work in on that and, and probably soon we'll head someplace, uh, which is a little bit warmer than Poland right now, uh, but it's fine. We're working really hard in all areas important for us to to develop uh, and, and to reach the best possible level. Great. A few questions. First of all, your black eye. This is on video. And for those that don't know, Daria has a big black eye. <laughs> it's not too bad. It was worse a few days ago, but all in the name of fun. So first question is... I see you guys play a lot of other sports, badminton, squash, sailing. And tell me, how does this help during preseason? We actually do a lot of sailing, stand-up paddling. Uh, we play frisbee sometimes, football, like soccer. Um, there is actually a lot of sports and we're doing that to break the... Uh, the routines at some point to, you know, uh, make things uh, a little bit more interesting, fresh, um, to just even a broad perspective and sometimes even to just add a little bit different factor in terms of obviously cognitive and uh, neuro, uh, neuro, uh, functioning, but also for the body. This is kind of the different, different thing to just move your body a little bit differently. Last but not least, it just helps to keep and work on relationships in the team to create the, to create the atmosphere, which is really helpful for us, especially in this challenging, uh, new reality, COVID reality, when there is now so many occasions and possibilities to be together. Um, like meaningfully together. Yeah, no, it sounds like you guys have quite a close team. We did have Piotr on the show a while back, Iga's coach, and it was a great episode, one of our best so far. So there's a lot of pressure on you here. 
<laughs> okay, I will do my best. I I don't think I have this, you know, this this perspective on tennis, particularly as Piotr has, but um, I'll do my best. Some of my friends would have been pro tennis players. Some still are, and they would have had a sports psychologist to talk to. But most of the time it was like once a week. They'd meet them once a month. Be WhatsApp chats here and there. But tell me, what's different with you apart from all the team events? What does your day full-time compromise? How can you help Team Swoon Tech? Well, first of all, I, even though I'm full-time with Iga in Team Swoon Tech, not only with Iga herself, but the whole team, I just don't work only with Iga and with Team Swoon Tech. I work with almost 30 other athletes. And it actually is uh, all about seeing a psychologist once for a week or once for two weeks, sometimes obviously uh, online, sometimes in the office. Uh, there's there's a lot of different uh, forms and ways to, to work uh, nowadays, uh, especially using new technology. Uh, but, uh, well... It, Except of uh, of all the team activities, so I often um, am uh, on court during practice. Um, I sometimes attend strength and conditioning training uh, sessions, sometimes recovery sessions. Uh, I talk with physio, with coaches. I obviously work closely with the managers and PRs, the PR staff as well. Uh, with family sometimes, so there's, you know, a lot of puzzles I'm... Uh, I'm, I'm just operating on, let's just say. So there is a lot of talking, obviously, not only mental training, so creating and developing particular tools to optimize the potential on, on, on the arena, on court, but um, also a lot of background work, uh, which is well basically based on talking, conversation. <laughs> what way does it work? So if Piotr or Iga's dad say, Hey Daria, I need a session. Just explain how that bit works. Uh, well, yes, uh, absolutely. We work in terms of let's just say session, but in Team Schwiontek, we more more over what we work as a conver on conversation, which is actually not not necessarily set up in the office. Uh, it takes fifty fifty five minutes straight, and then we're heading home. It's sometimes dinner, sometimes it's lunch, sometimes it's a conversation over the phone, sometimes it's something on a group chat, um, uh, over a coffee. There's a lot of different uh, venues. There's a lot of different occasions. Um, and you know, one of one like part of my philosophy working, especially with the Iga and Tim Shiontek, is that sometimes over this mentioned coffee or a dinner. We're able to do more work than we would do when we just sat down for two hours in the office. Obviously, sometimes we do uh, team stuff, uh, team conversations, teamwork. Um, sometimes it's more of a workshop or exercise. Sometimes it's, well, it's so, the variety is such, so, so, so big that, um, that yeah, that's, this is that, this is this kind of a, that way. It sounds like it's continuous all the time. There's no office hours. Yeah, absolutely. There's no office hours. Sometimes it's just 24-7. <laughs> I'd like to talk a bit about 
pre, during and post Roland Garros. But before we get there, how did you get into sports psychology? What's your background? So when I was five or six, my adventure with sports started with uh, dancing. Um, and uh, I do believe and think uh, nowadays that it's one of the best uh, forms of uh, movement that allows children to develop this kind of awareness in terms of their body um, and mind. But then when I was, uh, I think, six or seven, I started with sailing. Uh, I was born in town, which actually lays in the, at the longest lake in Poland. So it was kind of a natural thing to, to go and, and try to sail. Uh, so I was sailing on uh, Optimist. This is kind of a small boat for children under the uh, age of 15. Uh, and then I, I sailed on single dinghy Olympic classes. Uh, and... Uh, I stopped when I was 18 because of an injury. I fell, again, injury, luck I and all this. Um, I, I fell from a trailer when I was packing my boat um, and I broke my wrist. And it actually stopped me with, with, my, with my career. Um, and then I started, you know, I thought, okay, I really would love to stay with my passion because definitely sailing was this one thing that, you know, uh, lit up fire in me. And it was kind of the passion, a big passion for me. So I thought, okay, uh, how can I do that? You know, how can I stay here and, and use all my knowledge, experiences, and maybe just transfer this know-how into something else? And obviously this kind of obvious path for me uh, occurred to me that I could start to work as a coach. So I was just 18. I was just before going to high school uh, and a college, you know, uh, and, and maybe that that could be, yeah, I was after high school, just before college. And then, okay, I, I started to work as a coach. And I worked as a coach for almost 10 years with the sales from Poland, but uh, Switzerland, Greece, I think, Germany, oh, a lot of countries. So I thought... Even when I was 15, 16 and sailing, I thought there are some things that coaches couldn't explain to me. What's happening sometimes, what's going on with this stress thing, what, what's all about it. Uh, and I, I, I started to develop my interest in this area of sports. And I really thought that there's something more here that I don't understand and I really love to understand. I, I studied uh, in PE Academy in Poland and studied psychology five years and postgraduate um, sports psychology, some psychotherapy, short-term psychotherapy. Uh, and, and then I, you know, I'm here. I'm now uh, combining all these experiences and creating this holistic approach to the sports with having... Uh, I know the whole world knows that I'm 33 because I had birthday on Roland Garros final and everyone was talking about it. So that was kind of the best day of my life, you know. <laughs> and um, and uh, I have, you know, over 25 years of experience in sports, which is actually a lot. Um, and this is this is why I work like this. This is why I created this holistic approach to the sport. First of all, I want to say sailors are hardcore. Oh, yeah. That's why black eye doesn't matter to me, you know. It's like an occupational hazard. It's not the first rodeo I'm in. <laughs> a couple of my yeah. friends are sailors and one of them would have trained for the Olympics and they know how hard 
they train, it's absolutely amazing. But look, any Olympic athlete trains at that level. But also I have another friend who loves doing it, works hard. He's an orthopedic surgeon, but he loves getting in his boat, the laser boat and going out into the sea and just man and boat and absolutely loves it. It just, he says it's brilliant for the mind. Secondly, how did you get into tennis? Um, so I work with a lot of sports, you know, I work with the Polish national cycling team. I work with the Polish national swimming team, with athletics, um, with uh, chess, uh, esports. There's a lot, a lot of sailing, obviously, a lot of disciplines, sport disciplines. And at some stage, um, the the agency work, which, which worked with EGA at the time, um, reached to me and asked me, okay, there is this, there is this player. And I said, obviously I know the player. I follow the career. Um, and, um, we're interested if you'd like to work with her. And then, uh, I worked with tennis a little bit earlier, just before that. So I wasn't all, you know, unknown in the environment. Uh, but, uh, that's why, uh, we've started to work together. I knew Piotr right before we've started working with Iga. Uh, we we talked a little bit about her on our f- you know, free time because he used to work with other player at that time I worked with. So that was the that was the connection. Uh, and uh, and you know Iga is so open minded and um, so aware of how important psychology and mental preparation in her uh, in her development and processes that um, she was uh, well. As I said, very open-minded about it, and uh, agreed to that. Uh, with because you know there is this very important thing that a psychologist might be a greatest expert and could have all the tools there are in the world to uh, to create the champion. But if there is no connection uh, between an athlete and a psychologist in terms of just a conversation and relationship, in terms of trust, there's no other way that it could work. So when she felt, okay, I'm, I'm, I feel pretty much comfortable in a relationship and it's kind of the solid ground to, and we can build on that, then she decided, okay, I'm in and we started working together. When was this? It was actually, I think, um, February 2019. Okay, so a year and a half, nearly two years ago. I'm interested to know, since you've been working with Iga, what did you bring to the table I'm not sure what she was like as a junior. I know she was a junior champion. There was big expectations, big potential from her. And from what I've seen lately, obviously with Roland Garros, she did not look like she was phased at all. So yeah, I'd love to get in deeper and find out exactly what you've done. Oh, we put a lot of work in creating uh, a proper environment to grow up as a tennis player and a human being, first of all, and, and most importantly, you know. So there is a lot of focus that we put on creating a balance um, in terms of this holistic approach I've mentioned just before. Um, create a balance between sports and uh, a, a private life out of uh, off off court and out of the sports even uh, to be in different roles as a sister daughter uh, teenager at the time a student uh, because she just had finals this year 
at school. And she attended school full time, which is actually, you know, she didn't do it online. She just, you know, did uh, in this old school way, which actually is pretty much uh, impressive. But um, this is this is one of the areas we focused on extremely. Uh, but then uh, obviously stress management um, and emotional regulation, uh, emotional intelligence, which are actually um, extremely important qualities in terms not only again not only in sports and on court but obviously off the court and, and in the whole life. Um, communication, um, rebuilding and creating proper and, and and optimum optimal relationships. I think these are main main um, areas we've worked on. I'm curious to know. I'm not sure if you can answer this, but if you were to work with Nick Kyrgios tomorrow, how would you handle that? You know, it's such a difficult question because uh, I don't know him. I don't know a player, you know, and there is first things first. There has always to be a diagnosis in this this first stage of getting to know an athlete and how he or she operates and how what's the system, what's the what's the is there a balance or maybe not. That's what I mentioned. Um, but I can, you know, tell you something well, I don't know about even about Iga. There's some day then when, for example, even last couple of weeks when she uh, tries to figure out um, more of uh, business aspects of sports, of her sports, because obviously because of the success. So sometimes she might forget about a little bit about that it's or it that would be it will be better to rest at this stage or maybe take a nap or maybe uh, eat a little bit better eat different things or maybe to why why does uh, i don't know why do i have a backache for example or something like this because maybe of the tension and how can we release the tension what means uh, to be to to uh, have a quality rest or a quality recovery, for example? So this is kind of the ongoing conversation, which obviously is based on on an examples and of the real real everyday uh, situations. Uh, so work on that, and there is a lot of education here, and there is a lot of mentoring as well. I, I work on mentoring as well, and she likes to listen and use it. That's you know, I'm I'm very I I appreciate it a lot. Um, so I don't know about about Nick Kyrgios because everyone's different. I just I just gave you an, an example about Iga because I know her and I know that I can tell you just a little bit about it because she's okay with that. Piotr did mention on his episode about Iga studying. And I think he was more implying she was studying too much. She needed to be spending more time on court. But I can see both sides. I can see how important that is to her. And I can see then you saying, look, these things are really important that you do these. So just interested to know, how did you handle that within the team? I mean, I just want to create a balance because... I do believe, and I'm a believer in that, that we, we are able to create this balance, that we can have everyone happy in a very simple way. Uh, obviously, there was a time, a good time for Iga to focus a little bit more on her, on her studying, on her finals. Uh, it was important for her. Um, she, you know, didn't hide it. She was very vocal about it. Uh, we absolutely understand it that this is this is important for her. 
Um, and uh, we just found a way to combine this, you know. We said, okay, there is the, the, we, we are going to create a plan. We are going to create everyday plan, uh, plan for a week, for a month. Uh, we played some exhibitions, maybe, you know, that, because Iga is kind of the, you know, she lights up uh, her fire when she plays a match, when she plays, when she has points, when there is a competition. Uh, so um, I, we really wanted to have this fire still, uh, still here. And um, that was very, very important uh, when, I, when I look uh, in the past. Uh, and we did it. We created a balance. We even, we even found time for a little vacation. Again, maybe, maybe it's a fun fact, but we went on a vacation during pandemic together as a team, which actually says a little thing about us that even when we are every day with each other or we are after, you know, 10 weeks in tennis bubble, we still want to go uh, for a vacation together. This is kind of a great thing, you know, for me as a psychologist and as for the part of the team, this is a great, this is a great feedback. I can see some other players saying, I don't want to see my coach for three or four weeks. <laughs> How do you actually convince people to go see a sports psychologist? Yeah. I think it's hard enough to get somebody to go to sports psychologist after something has happened, but I can clearly see the advantages of going to sports psychologist before. It's pretty reactive for a lot of people, but how do you convince somebody, a sports player, or even anybody in general to go to a psychologist to plan for eventualities? I can see that being very challenging. It actually is one of the best questions I've heard after Roland Garros, let me just say. It. I think it's extremely important and I really appreciate the question. Um, it's it's hard. It's challenging to, um, to change the narrative and to change the stigma. We really are trying to do it and I'm so proud of Iga and I really appreciate that she's so vocal about mental preparation, but not only about mental health itself, about this creating the balance and stuff. We had this press conference right after uh, coming back from Paris and she told that, um, and this is kind of a quote, she told that, um, I really hope that after what we did and how we talk about it, uh, people will Stop see psychologists as, as someone who who's helping us with our when we're in trouble when we when we face with some difficulties um, or to um, or to you know uh, cope with the difficult experience um, but we start to see psychologists as someone who who's able to help us to develop to work with us on our resources and to be better uh, and. This is kind of the thing and the, this change of narrative I'm really hoping to to see more often. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's obviously such a valuable thing when an athlete, a coach, parent um, is able to see that he can, like, try to to dodge some bullets, you know, to, uh, to, be, to be able to do something different, to avoid consequences, potential consequences. But as a human beings, we learn the best on our own experiences. 
And these are actually the best lessons. So that's why it's so challenging to, to understand that we can prevent them and not only uh, treat them. Uh, so I do think it all starts with social awareness, with awareness in sports environment, but also in a society. And I don't particularly mean Poland, Great Britain, States. I do mean in all over the world because we can see an athlete, you know, Michael Phelps talking about mental health in States. We can see Michaela Schiffrin. We can see Angie Murray, obviously, talking about it a lot as well. Um, uh, and Iga, for example, as this, um, this modern generation, uh, young generation. So, uh, this, this is what, what would be great if it would be done. If we could just shift the narrative, even just a little bit. Daria, you have a tough job ahead of you, but, uh, no, it must be great to have people like Iga out there talking about these things and bring it to the forefront and showing the importance of a psychologist. So, Great job, Iga. Great job, Daria. Just one thing. Last week we had Robin Sodling on the podcast and he's talked about mental issues openly and he's been really good on the subject and it's bringing it to people's attention, which is really important. But one question I didn't ask him, which I'd love to ask him, was did he have a sports psychologist on his team early on before he played Rafa at the French Open and... Did he get one after that? When did he get one? It's just an interesting question that hopefully I may get to ask him again one day. But let's move on to Roland Garros. What went on there? I'd love to know more. Iga didn't have the best start moving into Roland Garros. I know she played Rome, had a loss there. What went on after that? Well, she was very, very vocal about it, that she didn't feel comfortable in uh, in the United States during Cincinnati and U.S. Open uh, and in Rome because her expectations were high. Were high. Um, she made an she did an incredible maybe not incredible great preseason in the summer uh, and she felt I can play my tennis this is kind of the phrase tennis players are using often I can play I I will play my tennis I will be winning and and she expected of herself a lot um, and uh, well then new reality COVID stuff uh, some stuff just one after another and it turned out that she didn't feel comfortable. Uh, but uh, we, you know, decided to come back after Rome, to come back to Poland for one week. Uh, there was, that, that wasn't the original plan, uh, but one of the qualities in our team I'm really proud of is, uh, is, is this ability to adjust. Um, so we did, we did just that. Uh, we just changed the plan, uh, um, conversation, 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 and then changing a the plan. So we regrouped. And not only physically, but mentally as well. Uh, did some very tough practice sessions. Oh, they were very tough uh, for Iga especially, but for all of us. Uh, and uh, then decided to go, to go, uh, well, decided. We obviously knew, but we, we, we went to Paris. And then there was the draw. And then there was Marketa Vondrushova in first round. And you know, you have, you have this first round and you have last year's finalist. And you have a great player, uh, extremely good on clay, who was in the semis in Rome just like a week ago. Um, and, uh, and then we have, uh, we have a very, very difficult talk with Iga, me and Iga. Um, and, um, and, uh, she 
decided to do it differently. I mean, it's not simple as it sounds, obviously, but she put an enormous work to uh, to confront herself a little bit and to to make some changes. And uh, I know that Iga, I think Piotr as well, they say that the most important match in Roland was uh, fourth round against Simona. But for me, from psychological perspective, the most important match was the first one against Marketa von Ruschow. When I saw Iga very much focused on her standards, not on her expectations and keeping her expectations low, um, I, I just, you know, thought, okay, now we're talking. Now this is it. Explain standards versus expectations, please. So there is this uh, words of wisdom. It's kind of the philosophy I could have tattooed on my forehead, you know. I'm just repeating it all the time, uh, which sounds like this. Low expectations, high standards. This is how uh, how you should be doing it. When, you know, you focus on your standards, you, for example, focus on how you're positioning yourself to aim the shot or how you prepare for your serve, um, how you like practice, do you sleep well, do you eat well? Uh, and then, as I mentioned, when you're on court, you're focused on some technical or tactical stuff. You're not thinking that maybe in two points, I'm going to win a Grand Slam tournament and my whole life will change. You're here, you're now at this particular moment and you're focused on your standards, on the process, okay? This is, you have those little tasks you're focused on uh, and this helps to manage stress, to regulate emotions, to be uh, very, to be very close to yourself during a performance. It sounds like you have her in a position where she's living that exact moment. She's not thinking ahead. She's thinking, this yes. is what I got to do right now, rather than this is what may happen. And then we have some tools she's, you know, equipped uh, with that help her to regroup when something's off because there is no, it's always happening at some point. You're just going to start to lose your focus. And the thing then is, okay, what are you going to do now? When you feel that, that something's off, that something's not how you want it to be. And then we created some tools um, and to just uh, be able to cope with that. Can you give us an example of a tool? Let's say when Iga's not happy with an umpire's decision. And then you just, I I can say what I can say. So I'll just say that then at this moment, there, there was this match uh, this year with, in Doha against Dona Vekic. Second set, Iga's losing, uh, I think it was 4-5. Uh, Dona serving for a match, I think. And there was the situation, umpire made a mistake. She actually apologized to Iga after the match. And Iga is not the person who's discussing with umpires often, you know, he's not like, she, she, she's not like that. But um, she uh, came over to, uh, to the nets and she started discussion and she was all fired up. And what she said to herself in this moment was, I'm not going to lose another game here. And she won 7-5 uh, and she won a whole match to sets. Uh, but this is kind of the example when something's off. So, for example, when when there's a, something, something's off with umpire, just try to think about what you can control and what's in your power. 
you don't have any control over an empire or your opponent. You just are able to focus on your movement, on your technique, on uh, decision-making solutions you're choosing. So you know who you're playing the first round, but tell me, do you, the team in Iga, look at the draw and map out the possible route who you're going to be playing each round? When you, if she will win first three matches, fourth round would probably be um, probably against Simona. So we obviously knew that if it will be against Simona, it's like 50, I think 50% chance at this stage that she will play Philippe Chaffier court or Suzanne Lindgren, but it's like 50%, right? Almost. So we made the jokes about it at this stage. Tell me, what sort of joke? You know, like... Ha ha ha, you lost last year. Now you can have your revenge or you're going to be beaten again. Come on, like, what are you going to do with it? We, because we we have a lot of fun in our team. Um, we, we laugh a lot. So, but then absolutely we stayed in this philosophy to be step by step, one step at a time. Uh, the most important thing is to, this particular day, even if it's a day off. Um, you just focus on how to practice best, how to uh, do the best recovery physically, mentally, eat, eat good. Uh, and my, uh, the thing I repeatedly say, I try to do one good thing for you every day, just for you, uh, because a tennis is a solitary sport. It's hard, it's demanding, it's challenging. You have to be good for yourself if you want to play well, because this is kind of the first uh, and most important thing to be good to yourself. So we were, you know, we were focusing on that. Well, first match, check. Okay, let's go and prepare for the next one. Obviously, Maciek, Piotr, Piotr, the most, most of all, obviously, and me. We are separately mostly, but we are watching matches, uh, thinking about the opponents. I'm preparing it particularly for the opponent, talking about a little bit about the style, about the mentality, about what I see, and how she can, what she can expect of you know of the game. If she's a favorite or maybe an underdog in a match, what can we position? And then during Roland Garros, we were even talking about the wind on the Philippe Chatier court and uh, some some other courts because I'm a sailor, so that's why we were talking about it. It was it was extremely windy, but it's kind of the, off the record. <laughs> At Functional Tennis, we are all about helping your tennis game get one percent better every day. That's why our match and practice journals are a great tool to have in your gear bag. The Functional Tennis match and practice journals help you plan and evaluate your matches and practice sessions. It includes goal setting, quotes, pressure tests and more. It's used by players of all ages and levels and it's a great way to get away from your phone and focus in on your game. To learn more, visit functionaltennis.com. you got a plan. That's part of planning, isn't it? Yeah. So what happened yeah. going into this Simona Halep match? I know you guys were playing jokes, but how did you switch Iga on and reverse the scoreline? Because I'm sure there must have been gremlins from last year. Well, you know, she played good three matches. Um, half, uh, she has con she had control. Um, she played uh, consistently. She played well. She was solid. Um, she felt good, healthy. So I just you know, told her, do the same thing you did in the first three matches. But, but then, you know, she 
she could say, but this is Simona Halleck. And I would say, and with all respect, I mean, I respect every single player a lot, but, you know, I said, so what? This is your time. You can just use the tools you were using. And obviously we can see the results. They are working. So I want you to try to take the control and to, you know, uh, be this version of yourself that you feel best with. Um, and she did just that. It was impressive. It just kept on getting better and better. Good job. I really, I, I, I watched the, I watched this match yesterday. Uh, because I, I watch those matches uh, like uh, every week or two and I see more and more space to improve. Oh, wow. That's impressive. I'm really yeah. looking forward to the yeah. future now. In my head, I feel like only coaches research opponents. But tell me, do you spend time analyzing Iga's opponents? I watch, I watch tennis all the time. I, I, everyone's, you know, making jokes, jokes of me that I watch sports 25 for eight uh, and I do, I do, I watch everything, uh, but particularly tennis, I watch matches. I, 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 I just, you know, uh, when we are on site, I just take a stroll, see something here, something there. I'm observing all the time. So you beat Halep in about 20 minutes, was it? It wasn't far off, but uh, you come in, you celebrate for a few seconds and the match face is back on. But coming out to the next match, has the pressure changed? Has the coin flipped? It might. It might because look, if you take uh, take a look on the draw, you could see that after a match against Simona Halep, there was Martina Trevisan and then Nadia Podoroska. There were actually two players uh, after qualies. Mm, so Iga was absolute underdog in the match against Simona Halep. And then she rose to a role of a well, favorite after this huge win. Um, and we, after after match against Simona, we switched off all of our notifications in the, in the phones. Uh, I I implemented policy in terms of uh, you know shutting, maybe not completely shutting, but uh, definitely um, definitely managing social media and 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 media um, talking a lot about. This is kind of my job looks like. My first call after a match against Simona Halep was a call to the manager. Uh, and, and, and we talked about a little bit about the strategy, shutting the things all about, you know, some, some, in some space because we did need uh, comfort and, um, and a space for recovery to regroup and, and to be prepared for the next match. But anyway, Iga rose up to the role of a favorite at this point. Um, and, and she wasn't an underdog anymore which uh, led me to, and us, uh, us team, to uh, shift the narrative a little bit, to remind her what's important, what's working, uh, what she'll be focusing on. After this, it was just one conversation, and then after that, just little reminders uh, from time to time. But then we just did what everything we were doing, everything we were doing earlier, so nothing changed. How hard is it to say no more phones? I know if you told me, Fabio, you can't use your phone, I'd be probably out of business pretty quick, but I can understand the value of it. But was there a fight back? Well, remember the beginning of our conversation today when I told you that the psychologist may be the greatest expert, but when there is no relationship and trust between athlete and the psychologist, you, you, won't, like, you won't be able to, to pursue some things. 
So this this is this is a moment when it benefits uh, trust and uh, respect to each other. I respect her needs, obviously. I know her. I actually know her, um, and she knows me. I'm I'm maybe at some point a little bit more open about me than I would be with other athletes. I work in, in you know office uh, once in a week. Mm, but this helps to build a trust. I'm more open because I'm not only a psychologist with my ethics, with the professional um, attitude and experience, but I'm also a part of the team. And as we live a little bit about the extension of a family, I really need to be more open if I want to earn a trust. So it benefits. It just, you know, I, this at this point, and I appreciate it, I cherish it a lot. When I advise Iga, okay, I think we might be doing this, 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 uh, it, it benefits. Mel Marshall, there is uh, the coach of Adam Pitti, uh, the swimmer, Mel Marshall. And she told a couple of weeks ago in an interview uh, something about coach. And it actually uh, might be transferred uh, and the word coach, we could switch coach with psychologist. So Mel Marshall said that we have uh, two types of coach. We have preparation coach uh, who's helping athletes to build resources like confidence, tools, um, quality to be able to pursue the road. A preparation coach doesn't clean the road for athletes to, you know, to be able to have a smooth, smooth rise. It's, prepar it's preparing athletes to, um, to pursue the road. And then when you go to the arena, uh, there is an arena coach who actually is uh, cleaning the road as much as he can for athlete who has his or her resources to be able to do the best. Just to, you know, feel that the court is not smaller or bigger than usual, that it doesn't matter if the audience is 10,000 people or it's just one or none, new reality, COVID reality. So this is a difference. And this is kind of the difference that, that implements in my work as well. So when we have a tournament, I start to become more of an arena psychologist and I try to clean up a little bit distractions, factors. Um, I, I sometimes even take some burden on me, like media, talking with WTA about stuff, about press sometimes and stuff. So so you're in the final with Sophia or Sonia. I don't know which one's right, actually. But what way is the compass facing? Is, or sorry, does Iga feel like she is the favorite? Is Sonia the favorite? Tell me about it. It was simple as that. She didn't, Iga didn't need to do anything. Um, I know, I know Sophia said um, that uh, because of Iga didn't play a Grand Slam final before and she, Sophia did play, uh, Iga might be more stressed. And I like, you know, well, maybe yes, maybe no. Even, you know, at this point we can see that way that um, Iga doesn't need to do anything. Like she's, you know, uh, she had this success already and it's, it's great. And again, we did everything as we did before. 
if it did its job during match against Simon, against against Martina Trevis and against Nadia Podoroska, why should we change something? So we just, you know, uh, warmed up, have had some fun, talk about the match, talk about the opponent, and uh, and play the match. And what it got, and and what was different during this match because there was a difference. Obviously, I'm talking just about mental point of view, my point of view, not about tennis itself. Um, was when Sofia took a medical timeout and went off court. Um, Iga didn't sit down on the bench. She just took balls and started to serve. And if you if you can remember, she had some interaction with fans when she served well. They were clapping. Um, and uh, she was laughing. She started looking um, on the uh, to the audience, and it was it wasn't um, it wasn't do it wasn't done an accident. It was planned. I just was you know sitting down and uh, nodding uh, in approval because um, she chose this way to release attention a little bit to feel more all loosened up and confident. And after Sofia came back, Iga didn't lose a game. So I think it's it did its job again. Yeah, no, it was pretty impressive. I just thought it was at this uh, just going through the second. There was a bit. The first time I saw a little bit of a uh, bit of tension. Yeah. But which is which is totally no. It was just it was it was an assassin's job. It was it was just unbelievable the whole run. The essence the essence is that you can have. When you're okay, I'll say it that way. When you want to build a house and you're going to a shop and you're buying all the tools you need, so you have a hammer, you have a screwdriver, you have uh, everything you need a saw, for example, right? But if you don't know how and when to use a tool, you don't need them, you won't build a house. So, for example, if I could have this obviously is about all the uh, all other athletes. You guys could have um, all the breathing techniques, relaxation techniques, uh, meditation, uh, visualization and stuff. But if she didn't know herself and why she needs at this stage to start serving and to release attention in this sort of way, she would do nothing with all these tools. Yeah. Tighten up and yeah, but good, good, good job and good job on you, but good job on her knowing how to use the tools the right moment and takes a lot of intelligence on her side as well. Uh, there's, there's one thing telling somebody, I think, what to do and then you need them to do it as well. Like they're out there on their own. And so tell me, match point, job done. It's your, it's your birthday. What's, what's the emotions like? Uh, you know, when she was playing, uh, when she had the match point, I just thought, okay, what I have to do next? Because I was still in, on the mission, you know. And when uh, when a player does this this such an incredible thing and achieves this this result, my job is to um, to think what have to we do now as a team and what what you know should player do. Uh, because the reality is, and there's a new reality here, uh, and the life ch changes in a blink of an eye. Uh, so 
we have to be it will be great if you are if we are prepared and if even if we're not it will be great if we could adjust so what i was trying to do was just that obviously i was extremely happy um she came she came to our to players box and gave us a hug and then we had a celebratory dinner there was the surprise in our hotel room and the wonderful concierge Laurent Garros helped Iga to uh to arrange it, to, I had the balloons and, and a gift and stuff. It was great. As I said earlier, it was the, probably the best day of my life, but I was still in my, in, in a job. You know, I had the job to do and still, I still do. So there, this is a process, ongoing thing. Did you say you can switch on your phone now? Uh, I didn't actually. So, um, I took the first wave of immediate attention, uh, made some appearances right after the match the next day. It was tough, like physically um, exhausting, but we managed to sleep quite well and and all do all the all the obligations. Um, so this this is this is how it is. I you know I have this I have this this thing uh, that I think that when you're setting the goal, it first is it's a dream. Then you know when you're setting a goal, it would be great if you be prepared to what's happening when um, you're reaching this goal. This is because some some people set up the goal and okay, and they don't think much of what's what happens when I, you know, when I do, when I will do it, when I reach the goal. And I really tried even thinking about it, Iga said, this is my dream, this is one of my goals. And I tried to build everything, every tool and everything. Uh, and we tried as a team, obviously, because it, uh, let me just say it, it's a team effort, absolutely. Even mental preparation, this is a team effort, a great teamwork. Uh, so we tried, um, to, to prepare her and ourselves. So, uh, we will see, obviously, if we did a good job or not. Um, but we try to do our best. Yeah, it, it's crazy because that's so many times people achieve their goals, as you said. But there's no plan afterward. It's like, mm, yeah. what's next? And that's where they fall apart. And so many athletes have talked about it and it's happened to so many. So you really, it's, again, it's about being proactive. Let me just say, this is the thing you've asked. So how can we think that you can use a psychologist, not just after something happens, but before? So this is how we want to do it. Prepare and prevent uh, and not just react, you know, and tr- and treat. Um so I think this is a good example of this attitude. No, really good example. So what's changed? So now you're in the middle of preseason, you're looking to go somewhere warm. Do you know, do you know where you're going? We do, but won't Would say. you know what country you're going? <laughs> Can you do. say what country you're going to? I won't say. Okay, for now. No, we're just, we just, we, we try to decide between two or three right now. We will see. It's a matter of days. Uh, but yeah, we're in the middle of a hard preseason. Um, I personally add some things to the particular mental training. We do a lot of cognitive training this time, um, new technologies implementing in the process. So it's kind of the fascinating thing for me as a, as a psychologist. Um, Ika's interested in it. Um, she's, she's curious. She likes to know. So I think we have a, we're having fun. Um, but, um, uh, there was a little bit of a rest, but we started to work pretty much early um, 
there is this plan which actually is not so you know so perfectly all uh, set up a hundred percent because of the some uncertainty in terms of tennis australia and wta but but uh, again we will adjust this is this is how we do it we're prepared to it and there is a lot of obviously this new reality for riga in terms of connecting uh sports performance practice recovery with business uh, public relations uh, partnerships uh, media so there was a lot of education a lot of talking with the uh, management uh, and uh, you know expanding team Shiontek and there's a lot of, you know, more people right now here so we try to to set up uh, these boundaries rules relationships this is kind of the psychological work as well yeah, I'd say it's tough when there's probably new members of the team coming in and yeah, there's all this media attention, sponsorship, businesses that want to work with the team and I, I, and people want access, access. And you're like the shield. No, you're not Sometimes coming in. Sometimes I yeah. am. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I'm even yeah. media in Poland know when they want to, you know, <laughs> do something. Nice. And they sometimes just call me and say, I, I I, could rather call someone else, but I know that you will say yes or no and we will do it or not. So sometimes it's just that, <laughs> like that. So I... I need to go through you to see when we get Egon on the podcast. Uh, probably, probably, but no, just, you know, it's, this is, this is, I'm just laughing a little bit, but uh, we try to create and set up a good team to prevent a lot of stuff to, you know, learn not only through our own experiences, but also others. Um, so we talk about it a lot. There's a lot of conversation going on about, uh, about creating the best possible plan. Uh, to again keep the balance uh, because it, it, this is just it just all lays just before and this is kind of the um, of the solid ground uh, just before all the tools uh, motivation stress management emotional intelligence like regulation con- focus and concentration cognitive abilities for me in my uh, in my work it's always the next step so the first one is just the solid ground. Great. Well, I have two more questions for you. One's a short one and one's a bit longer. One was asked by another psychologist to ask you, Can you said you work with other sports stars, other sports athletes. Can you work with other tennis players? The thing we have here is that I said, if you, if you want, uh, if you don't want it, we can talk about it. I mean, I'm open and she's very open up to it and, and, and she's fine with it. So yes, I still work with tennis with other players. Um, I work a lot of with right now with uh, sailing, volleyball, um, cycling, um, chess, esports. Uh, what else? What else? What else? Um, do, do you work? Do you work with any esport athletes? Yes, I do esports. Yeah, I work with esports wow. as well. Yeah, uh, I work with. Uh, with horse uh, riding, I work with, um, what else? I have to check, I think. I can't remember. I can't even Too remember many. because there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of sports with the basketball, with, uh, with, with soccer. So, yeah. My last question is about being, uh, about being proactive. When should juniors and more so their parents look at speaking to a sports psychologist for the benefit of their kids. So what's happening in the world is that we try to implement a little bit 
later specialization in sports. And this is actually a response for our challenging times, you know, a lot of factors, chronic stress, uh, in increasing amount and percentage of mental disorders in a society, in a population. Um, and we try to give children and, and teenagers a little bit more time to figure out what's their sport, when, where they have their passion, are they passionate about it? Because when in sports, when you're in the specialization stage, when there is a crisis, and it always comes at some point, uh, when you have this passion, when you feel it, it's way easier to cope with a crisis. It always is. So we try to do it, and that's why we are advising to uh, implement developmental psychologists or child children's psychologists, psychologists who work with teenagers to develop those uh, fundamental resources like creating self-confidence, self-worth, um, emotional intelligence, healthy relationships, being assertive in some ways. And then when the specialization starts and we talk about competition, we talk about, um, about uh, performance itself, then I would advise to implement a sports psychologist. So obviously it depends on the sport because we have gymnastics or figure skating, which are actually sports with early specialization. And then we have, and tennis actually is this one of the sports, early specialization sports still. Um, and then we have a late specialization sports. So it really depends on, you know, what's the, what's the, what's the best sport. Obviously, let me just say that the, at the like to to summarize it that uh, there is it's not that just players should or it's worth to work with a psychologist. We have parents, especially in tennis. Parents a lot of they're really involved in tennis, not only in this proper uh, healthy way. Um, we have coaches. Uh, we have a lot of people who can absolutely benefit from the work with sports psychologists. So I would be really glad to have this this little change of a narrative to to broaden perspective on that. Nice, that's a, that's a great answer. It's a great answer. Uh, thank you very much for your time. Great insight and great to find out more of what a sports psychologist does because I, I just thought it was a weekly I know you're on the team and I see you around, but it's it was it's more than a weekly conversation or a WhatsApp chat. So thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Daria. I never thought the role of the psychologist was as big and important. The benefits are clearly visible and I can't wait to see you play in 2021. I'll be back next week and I wish you a lovely Christmas. Hope you've plenty of food, plenty of joy and have a great time. Bye.